Colossians chapter 3. I have no idea how far we're going to get on this tonight. I ask you to get you a, a, a biro and some paper, because I'm going to give you some list of some helps tonight in dealing with, um, dealing with sin. Colossians chapter 3. Now, while you're getting there, now the whole point of chapter 3, chapter 1 and 2 talks about Jesus Christ and the completeness that He is to us and our completeness in Him. It is eternal security, front, backwards, up, down, left, right, and center. There is, there's nothing more to do to be saved and to stay saved. Now that you are saved, you get to chapter 3, and Paul begins to focus on how to live. So now that you're saved, we're going to talk about what is it I'm supposed to be doing? Am I supposed to be keeping myself saved or what's this thing going on? So by way of introduction, Apostle Paul is continuing in his letter. He wrote to the Christians in a, in a city of Colossae back in the first century. He writes, in order to ground the Christian believers in the truth that Christ is all they will ever need to be saved and that they are complete in Him. I know that a lot of religions, a lot of, uh, a lot of, I mean, the devil and our own conscience brings guilt upon us constantly. And guilt is not always bad, but to be in a constant state of guilt is deadly. So um, uh, you, can, you can look at the devil, you can remind the devil that, that you are complete in him. He's all you need, and he thinks you're just fine in him. So... He shows us this so that we can live in victory over any sin that may be troubling. And if sin's not troubling you, you're not breathing. Okay? <laughs> so don't sit there and go, well, sin's not troubling me. Well, maybe you're a little comfortable with some sins. But in, in the Christian life, sin troubles. The devil troubles us. The flesh troubles us. So this was written for the Christian. Now it's time to start. When you get to chapter 3 and verse 5, he uses a new word that I've preached on before, but I'm going to try to really just, just focus on and, and open up and just enjoy the concept of, of, it's a negative word for sure, but the truth is very positive, mortifying all the old sins that still reside and still aggravate us. So um, the things that, that, that reside in your memory, all of the past, uh, in your habits, in your thinking, and in your affections. So he starts off in chapter 3, if you're risen with Christ, Seek those things which are above. Verse 2 says, set your affections on things above. Because when my affections focus down here, it's like a doorway for the devil to get in and, and trouble me. So we're going to mortify every, every sin that gets active in us. And uh, we're going to learn to believe that God has unplugged every sin that does so easily beset us. And it's a shame, sin shouldn't. Uh, pull us off course. That's what beset means. To beset means to, if you've ever seen people who are wrestling, um, there, are, there are certain rules about wrestling. You're trying to bring somebody down. You're trying to bring them uh, across a line. And sin takes us and pulls us off course. And the sins that so easily pull us off course, pull us out of following the Lord, should not. And we should have a victory over all of those sins. So, by way of review, back there in chapter 3, the first thing Paul tells you is to test yourself. He says, if ye then be risen with Christ, if you've been born again, if you've been resurrected, I mean, can you answer, are you saved or not? I mean, it's a, it's, it's a great thing to be able to say, I know I'm saved. I know I'm saved. Not because I prayed some perfect prayer, not because I go to some perfect church, not because I have some perfect Bible, not because... Nothing 
saves you but Jesus Christ? And your childlike cry to him in desperation, Lord, save a wretch like me. For whosoever shall call upon the Lord might be saved, is that what the Bible says? Shall be saved. So, test yourself, because you need to know. Because the devil will come along and says, you're not saved. Ah, you're not living it. You're not, you're, you're no good, so on and so forth. So, test yourself. Then secondly, keep your heart and affections right. So he goes on, he says, verse 2, set your affection. By the way, all the new Bibles, what's their word there that they use instead of affection? Set your mind on things above. Now, the difference between the mind and the heart is huge because the mind doesn't have a problem with uh, uh, all the sins that, are, that, are, that, are, that show up in my life. My heart has the problem with them. Because out of the heart proceed, you know what Jesus said? Out of the heart proceed uh, an evil eye. Um, uh, uh, what's it where you are suspicious and all the different sins that are there, adultery, fornication, so on and so forth. So where does he tell us to set our affection? Where is our, where is our heart supposed to be focused and anchored on? Things above, where Christ is, all right? So he talked about keeping our affection, right? We learned how we can do this. Third, we need to remember that you're dead now to the world and temptation. I'm dead to the world. Now what that means is that the world should just look at you and should not see you attracted to it. Now, I, I've taught this, when I've taught children in Sunday school, I've taught about a change in, 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 in the characteristics of metal. You have a magnet, and the magnet and the, and the, the metal is, a, is, is attracted to the magnet. Well, the only way to stop that metal from being attracted to the magnet is to change the metal. Make it, make it aluminum. Make it something that doesn't get attracted to it. Now, what God did not do was he didn't fix me so that I'm not attracted, but he put a nature in me that's no, that has no attraction to this world. And that's where I live. I now live in the Spirit. And the Spirit is not attracted to a cigarette. Amen? The Holy Spirit is not attracted to gossip. Amen? The Holy Spirit is not attracted to a critical spirit. So, that, that, that new nature that I've been given, I, I need to remember that I, because of this new nature in me, I'm dead to the world. I, I'm, I'm not supposed to be pulled by it. Third, fourthly, live like Jesus is coming back. Verse 4, he says, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. So you need to remember that, that, uh, uh, that he's coming back. And by the way, he could come back tonight. I mean, honestly, uh, there is no reason why every, any Christian should say, well, you know, I mean, how much more time do we have? Oh, maybe 30 seconds. <laughs> don't, don't you worry about all the signs and all of the signals and all of the conditions being right. They're right. So the Christian just lives like Jesus is coming back. That's how we live and that we'll be with him. By the way, <clears throat> well, let me just move on. I could go on for a long time. So we're going to talk about mortifying here. Let's pray, and then we'll pick up in verse 5. Father, help me be a help and be a blessing. And that this wonderful word, Lord, just would, would come alive and be um, something that, that we could fully understand. And we would apply to whenever sin comes, not just knocking on the outside, but comes alive on the inside and tries to raise its ugly head up again and try to take over and try to uh, uh, push us uh, back into some old lifestyle that, that we're dead to. And I pray for some victories tonight. I, I really wish 
Lord, I could preach, could have preached this this morning or any other morning because all Christians need these things. This isn't just for the people who are hungry for it. This is for all Christians. And I pray that we would take it very seriously that tonight that this is where victory is found. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so verse 5. Let's read verse 5 down to 9. We're only going to get some <coughs> concepts here. I'll see how far I can go. But chapter 3, verse 5 says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Is God happy with any of that stuff? No. Verse uh, 7, In the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. Hey, do, uh, do any of us, can any of us say before we got saved we never had a problem with fornication? We never had a problem with unclean thoughts. We never had a problem with inordinate affection. We never had a problem with evil concupiscence or with covetousness. Can any of us say that? No. We all lived in the, that lifestyle to some degree. But verse uh, 8 says, But now you also put off these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. Now, that first word that we're going to pick up there in verse 5, he says mortify. That's a wonderful word. Now, how can you say that? Well, because it's, it, it, is a, it is an act of a warrior. It's an act of a conqueror. It's an act in a battle where you have been given the tools to defeat your foe. You can put them to death. You can stop whatever the devil throws at you, which is an amazing thing. Sometimes we get the idea that we're... we're, over, we're we're unable to meet temptation. And without the truth of the Bible, without the Holy Spirit, that may be true. But the truth of the Bible is, Christ in you is all the hope you need to win every victory that you face. So, mortify. What does it mean? Mortify means to put to death, to render lifeless, like we'd say choke, <laughs> to allow to decay or die, to starve by not feeding to deny any authority over your life. Go to Luke chapter 9. Hold in your place here in Colossians. Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. <clears throat> 9.23. Luke 9.23 said, and, if, and, and he, Jesus, said it to them all, If any man will come after me, let him what? I deny himself. Now the concept is, let, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to let yourself die. You're going to have to just not feed what you are so that you can feed what I want to make you. He goes on, he says, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life is always going to what? He's going to lose it. But whosoever will lose his his life. So mortify means to let it die. Because if you lose your life for my sake, then you're going to save it. So another uh, um, uh, way to look at it is to condemn or judge or remove the sinful desires that pop up in your head and in your life from having any authority or accessing any authority over your life. Now, so if you have uh, flatmates. Now, you mean you, you live with other people in your flat, right? All right. 
So say you had a car, you mean. That'd be a terrifying thought for the rest of us, but if you had a car and you've laid your keys on the, on the table right, right by the front door, and uh, when you came in and you walked in there and somebody says, you mean I got your car, and he goes out the door and he drives off with your car, would you like that? No, I don't think so. I don't think so either. All right. Now, what we do is we give sin freedom to just come and take the keys and take us for a ride. And mortify means take the keys away from sin. Don't give it place. Don't let sin take up residence in your house and therefore start taking authority. So it means to actually say, you're not going to have my key. All right, let's move a little bit further. It, it means to put to death, all right? To mortify is to put something to death. Now, <clears throat> there's a big thing, there's, there's, a, there's a thing I want to talk about here is because crucify and mortify, all right, let me, crucify and mortify deal kind of with the same thing, but I need you to go to Galatians chapter uh, 2 for a second because to crucify... Well, while you're looking at that, let me um, give you, yeah, all right. So Galatians chapter 2, you're just a few pages back. Galatians chapter 2 in verse 20. Nita, would you read that, please? Yes, ma'am. Okay, so there it doesn't say, I am mortified with Christ. Does it say that? No, no it says, I am crucified. So, I am crucified. It, to crucify also means to put to death, but it's already happened. It already happened. When? Yvonne, uh, 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 when, um, when did I get crucified? According to Galatians 2.20. Now, I'm here in, in, in I got uh, saved in, in 1980. That's when I experienced what Christ did 2,000 years earlier. Okay? So I am crucified. I need to go to Galatians 5.24, um, Andrew. Galatians 5.24 now. Wow. So the truth is here, uh, crucifixion is a present tense reality for the believer. It says, I've crucified the moment you got saved. Now, you may not have understood, and I sure didn't understand when I got saved, but when I got born again, what happened was, my lust, my affections, the things that were going to send me to a devil's hell were nailed to the cross. We dealt with that in chapter, uh, chapter 2. And all of the ordinances that were against us were blotted out and they've been crucified and I live in a state of, of, uh, uh, of freedom from that because all of that stuff has been crucified and actually is still crucified. It doesn't, it doesn't come back and haunt me. But to mortify is the next step. To mortify is to believe that something is dead and to walk away from it 
being now free. And I thought of this. I thought of a, a unique illustration here, and I'm going to go ahead and jump up. This is where my brain is, is kind of in two different places. Um, let me see if I, here's an example, okay? When you believe it is dead, all right, you can, you can walk away knowing that you're free in Christ, even though it scares you. For example, you guys don't have it, but when, in America, especially if you go kind of west, people go hunting for bears. So say if you, in your home, let's just pretend that somebody, some distant relative in America sent you a bear rug with the head still on, right? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, you know, can you visualize that? So, and you put that in your sitting room in front of your couch, and so there's this big head facing the hallway, and he's dead, amen? You know he's dead. But you've laid on it, and it's so warm, and it just sits in front of the fire, and it's there in your sitting room. Well, one night at 2 a.m. in the morning, you come down the stairs, and you go to get a glass of milk, or maybe a chocolate cake, whatever's in the fridge. You don't know. But you come down there, and out of the corner of your eye, you see two eyes looking at you. And you glance, and your heart stops. And you, you, for a brief moment, you think that thing's looking at you and about to pounce on you and going to eat you. And then you go, he's dead. He's dead. And so you go on, and you go and get you your milk or your chocolate cake, whatever you're going to get out of the fridge. And when sin comes along and alarms you and scares you, you're going to have to be like that and go, you're dead. That's what mortify means. It means keep them dead. Don't let them take a, 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 a power over you that they don't have. That they don't have. You can now walk away from anything. Not that you always will. Because we're going to lurk at our flesh is still very weak. Would you agree with that? Our flesh still is prone to, to give in to the pull of temptation. It is still our own lusts. That, that go for and run to certain sins and things that we've struggled with all our lives. So, but to mortify means to believe that it's dead, to reckon it to be so. Does that make sense? Looking at that, that uh, um, bear rug, looking back at you, and especially if it's nighttime and you see the reflection, you know how the animal eyes, they can reflect those things, and it's just terrifyingly scary. And you look, you go, you're dead. <laughs> And you just walk away. All right. So, now, when he talks about our members, going back to Colossians, when he goes back and he, and he uses this phrase, your members. And before that, forgive me for a second, I want to go back to talking about mortifying. He's talking about how you view your natural tendencies. The Apostle Paul is te teaching how to react to sinful activities in your thoughts, memories, feelings, and desires that are still part of you. They are parts of you even though you don't want them to be there. Now the command to mortify, what, the command is to mortify whatever shows up in you that is wrong on a day-by-day -day basis. I am crucified with Christ. I don't have to die to pay for my sins. Amen? The crucifixion is done. I am, I am in that act that He already did. But mortify... When the devil shows up and tries to scare me, I believe he's dead. And that's where the Christian gets the victory. So, let's go now. Let's talk about it. He says there in Colossians 3, 5, he says, Mortify therefore your members. Now, your members are 
what make up your flesh. When he talks about uh, um, our flesh and our body and our members, he's talking about your physical muscles, your chemicals that go throughout your body, the bones, the fingers, the ears, the eye, the feet, and all the other parts. Look back in chapter 2, verse 10. says, Ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, in putting off, notice these words, the body of the sins of the what? Of the flesh. By the circumcision of Christ. So we're talking about this, this body we're talking about they're the members of your body, not just, and it's not just your physical bodies, all right? This little pinky is not my real problem. My real problem is all the chemicals and, and, and all of the thoughts and all the feelings and all the memories that may cause this hand to go and take something that's not doesn't belong to me. What caused these eyes to look and and to examine it, to ponder, to think about, and to pursue, and to lust after someone that's not my wife. Are you with me? So there's a whole bunch of things that belong to me. I can blame no one else. What does Paul say? I know that is in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. So this me and everything about me are called my members. Now, in a church you have members, don't we? Those are people who have, who have bound themselves to that group and says, this is my church. And this is the body of Christ here in Ballincolly. Well, I've got some members. I mean, some of them are visible, some of them are invisible. They are what make me, me. I need to look in my members. I need to mortify anything that is not like Christ. I need to believe it's dead. So, in, in simple terms, I say it this way. Our members are the natural ways that we live and act without really thinking. How many of you think about breathing? You heard about the blonde. I'm sorry, Mona. You heard about the blonde who had these, she was working, she was typing away, and she had uh, earbuds in her ear. And the boss came along and said to her, says, you're going to have to stop that company policy. He says, you cannot be listening to iPods. She says, yeah, i got, I got to have this. I, I'll die if I can't be listening to this. He says, I'm sorry, I have to take him out. Take him out right now. So she takes him out, and he walks away. 15 minutes, he comes back over there, and she's dead. <laughs> What happened? And he puts the earbuds in her ears and says, breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in, <laughs> breathe out. Anyway, what we do without even thinking, some of you laugh, come on. What we do, it was great, what we do without even thinking is who we are, okay? It's our tendencies. You know, honestly, um, there are, you, you watch children and you watch what they do without even thinking. You know, a child, you put two children in a room and they got one toy, one of them grabs it, the other one goes, that's mine! <laughs> Without even thinking, that, that, that covetousness, that, that reaction thing, that's what makes us human and that's who we are. So when he talks about our members, those are the natural ten- tendencies, the natural man acting how he is. And Paul says, mortify your members. Now, um, when you're hungry, when you're angry, when you're frustrated, when you're sad, when you're happy, when you're tired, when you're grumpy or scared. That's all you. And you've got to look at you and say, well, it's just me. No, you've got to say, what part of that is not like Christ? And if it's not like Christ, that's my responsibility to mortify so that I can be more like Christ. 
Now, Romans chapter 6, go to Colossians, uh, sorry, go to Romans chapter 6. We'll look there real quick at two verses. Romans chapter 6 and verse 19. Jennifer, Romans 6, 19, please. <clears throat> You see the connection between flesh and members. All right, so my hand is a member of my body, is it not? My nose is a member of my body. My eyes are members of my body. All right, so he says, how strong is our flesh? What's the word that he uses? Infirmity. That means weak, infirm. So when we, talk about, when we talk about getting victory, we're talking about getting a victory in the area that is the weakest. So it's not going to be willpower. It's not going to be because you're just, you're just this great strength. No. You used to yield your members. You used to yield your eyes, your ears. You used to, remember, you used to yield your mind and your, your, your passions. You used to yield your body as members of unrighteousness, now you can choose to yield it to good things, and to righteousness. So, uh, Adelina, read chapter 7, verse 8, 11, and 17. <clears throat> Just chapter 7, verse 8, 11, and 17. <clears throat> Concupiscence. Hold, I, forgive me for interrupting here, but sin took occasion, means took advantage, by the commandment, he wrought where? All manner of sin. What does he say? Where did the sin get started? According to verse 8. No, no the commandment wasn't wrought or worked in me. Okay, so where's me? That's my flesh. That's, that's me, okay? So, now verse 11. It slew me. So sin got in there and like a time bomb blew up and ruined my life. <clears throat> now read, <clears throat> excuse me, now read 17. <laughs> dwelleth in me. So it dwells inside of me in, in, in my localized area. I can't say sin's here. I can't say sin's there. Where do I say sin is? Here. It's in me. And it's still in me even though I'm saved. Paul is talking as a Christian here. So we're talking about my members, my life. What I do without thinking, I need to think about. How I react, I need to think about. What I, what I do without without being worried about. What I, what I do naturally, I need to stop and go, is that like Christ? <clears throat> so, when we talk about members, we're talking about how we normally live. Now, let me just try to get some place and we'll stop here. So, instead of, now I'm glad that Paul didn't say, now mortify your body. Because <laughs> that's kind of, I, I wouldn't be here tonight if I had to do that. 
I'm not asked to crucify this body. I'm not asked to cut off this hand or these feet or pluck out these eyes. Jesus put it in really strong words. If your eyes are going to keep you and, and uh, sinning and keep you from going to heaven and send you to hell, I'd pluck it out. But he doesn't ask that for the Christian and say, well, I, I'm having trouble with my eyes, Pastor. I, I can't get the victory over my smartphone. I can't get the victory over my rock music. So what do I do? Cut off my ears? No. So he gets down, back to Colossians now. Colossians, chapter 3. <clears throat> so, instead of asking us to crucify our flesh, he asks us to mortify what our members by nature do, or does. Verse 5 says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. And then he doesn't say hands, does he? It doesn't say mouth. How many of you get in trouble with your mouth? Let me see your hand. <laughs> Are you glad that you're not... He doesn't say, mortify therefore your mouth. <laughs> and we raise our feet too, you know. He doesn't say mortify your mouth, does he? He gives five key sins here, and he says, mortify therefore your members, and then he lists fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry. So these five things are what my body likes to do. Does that make sense? I'm not told to go and, and, and move and live in a beehive hut so that I don't sin. I'm not told to cut off my hands, my eyes, my ears, or whatever. No, I'm supposed to mortify what my body loves to do. And the first one is fornication. <clears throat> and when the Bible talks about fornication, it means all forms. Fornication means sex, any kind of sex outside of marriage, but it means more than that. I don't even like talking about it, but the Bible, I'm glad I have a Bible, because the Bible is a complete book. When it talks about fornication, it includes homosexuality, incest, pornography, adultery, any sex that's outside of marriage. That's when you read fornication. Some people say fornication is sex before marriage. That's not true. Any kind of sex outside of the marriage relationship, is fornication. Now, adultery is sex when you're supposed to be married and only that person. So when he says fornication, that includes pornography. And yet, isn't that the most awful thing going on today everywhere? But you can mortify it. You can believe that it is dead in your life. You say, oh, I've been battling with this since I was so many... You know what? If you're Christian, you can mortify it. And you need to believe that. You cannot sit there and go, well, Pastor, I can't get the victory over it. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. <clears throat> you could be... <clears throat> can you imagine if you came down the stairs and you glanced and you saw those eyes out of that dead bear skin and then you ran up to your wife and said, protect me. You've chosen to believe that that bear's alive. Well, that's how a lot of Christians live. They choose to believe that that sin is still alive in their body and in their mind and in their past and in their future. And you don't need to go run to mama. You need to just go get the glass of milk and then go on with life. Amen? Thanks. If lust, sexual sins, temptations are running around inside your head, then there is a power. There is power in six things. There's, there's a power in six things that are available to every believer. And I'm going to finish with this, but I'm going to give them to you. 
There's power in the name of Jesus Christ when you are under temptation. Go to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Rodell, Ephesians 6, 10. Yes. Of whose might? The Lord Jesus Christ. There is power in Him. I don't rest in my own power. Well, I'll just close my eyes. Well, I'll just not think about it. Well, I, Did you ever do that with cigarettes? Anybody in here who's ever battled cigarettes, the last thing you want to do is to try and stop thinking about smoking. Because all you'll do is think about smoking. <laughs> and you can't just say, well, I just won't think about this. Or... No, no, no. You're going to have to have a power that's greater than you. Go to Philippians chapter 2. Uh, Philippians chapter 3. Let's see, Brother Darren. Philippians chapter 3 in verse 10. <clears throat> How powerful is his resurrection? I, yeah, there's no way. That power, somehow, Paul said, I want to taste. I want to experience it. All right, it's available. I, I can't imagine ever being able to say, oh yeah, it's not that big a deal. It is a big deal that that power is available. If he can raise a dead body, he can get me through temptation. Amen? All right, God bless you. Uh, secondly, the power of the Holy Ghost. I know the charismatics are making big of it, but he is a very powerful being. Go to uh, Romans chapter 15, Miss Sherry. Romans 15, 13. <clears throat> In what? In, in believing, not just doing. It starts with, I'm going to believe it. Keep going. Isn't that cool? So you can take it and say, I feel very discouraged, you've lost all hope, and you come to that verse and it says, you know what my focus is? My focus is on me instead of the Holy Spirit. And if I start focusing on the Lord, I need the power of the Holy Spirit. I need to be filled with the Spirit instead of filled with with discouragement, instead of filled with defeat, instead of filled with frustration, and you be filled with the Holy Spirit, and you've accessed a power that nobody else has except a believer. So look at another one. Oh, this one's good. Revelation 12, 11, and I'm going to guess that it's Heidi. Ruth. Which one are you? Ah, all right, Revelation. Revelation. I'm just going to call you thing one and thing two. That's what I'm going to do. You know, if you know Dr. Seuss. All right, um, Revelation 12, 11. This one is one of my favorites. Things to rely on when you're, when you're in discouraging times of temptation, trying to defeat you, discourage you, or whatever. Revelation 12 and verse 11. By the word of their testimony. <laughs> Now, that's a great message on itself, three-point outline right there. But the first point is, what was the power that Christians throughout history have relied on to overcome Satan, demons, temptation? What was it? The blood of the Lamb. There have been plenty of times in my life where I have just bowed my head and said, Lord, I cling to, I trust, I plead, I just thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ. And for some reason, the devil cannot stand that. 
and you'll overcome by the blood of the Lamb. Let's look at another one, Hebrews 4.12. So the name of Jesus and dependency upon Him and His power, the power of the Holy Ghost, the power of the eternal blood of the Lamb of God. But I want to tell you one thing that is missing in every charismatic church, in every Pentecostal church, in most every church on this globe, most of it, is they miss the power of the truth of Scripture over feeling. Hebrews 4.12. Uh, now I'm going to get Heidi. Hebrews 4.12. And what? Powerful. Go ahead. Okay. So the Word of God is powerful. So when your feelings, Heidi, when your feelings are, I'm no good, when your feelings are, uh, I, I, just, I, I just keep going through the same cycles, I keep being defeated, what can you remind yourself of? Where can you go to overrule those feelings? The Word of God, because it is right to the point, it is powerful. That's why we put a lot of emphasis on Scripture, amen? Because there is a power in believing the truth. Isn't that what Jesus said? The truth makes us free. Let's go to another one. Two more, we're done. Uh, Proverbs 16, 6, uh, Miss Dina. Proverbs 16, 6. So the name of Jesus and dependency upon his power, the power of the Holy Ghost, the power of the eternal blood of the Lamb of God, the truth of Scripture over feelings, and the fear of God. Ooh. You know what's missing today? What does Proverbs call it? There is no fear of God before their eyes. Proverbs 16, verse 6, Miss Dina. Okay, so if I'm driving down the road and it says 100 kilometers an hour and I'm going 130, you know what it's like? Everyone knows in this room what it's like if you've ever driven. You're driving and you're just happy, you don't mind, you're making up time, and then there's some vehicle just around the corner with a camera pointing at you. Why do you slow down? Why does your hands begin to sweat? <laughs> Why do you imagine a 180-euro ticket being sent to your house? Because you fear being caught, and you slow down. And the next time you're going on that same stretch of land, on that stretch of land, you're going a little slower, and you're going, I better stay the speed limit, because fear is a good motivator, amen? And when you know God will catch you, and when you know he's watching you, and he's listening to you, and he'll bring it up one day, and he'll make you say, well, now I don't have to go to hell. No, but you don't, you don't have to pay eternally for any sins, but you will reap the consequences for them physically. You say, well, I'm saved. How come I've got cancer? Because you smoked, dummy. And you can't get saved from the consequences, earthly-wise, of your sin. And when you start to realize, you start playing with sin, you start playing with the world, you start playing with the flesh and with the devil, and you realize the Lord's going to expose you, you go, I guess I won't. <laughs> I guess I'm not going to do that anymore. I guess I'm going to pick up my Bible. I guess I'm going to start walking the straight and narrow way. Amen? All right, so the fear of God. One more. 1 Corinthians 11. Brother Tony, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 5. <clears throat> First Corinthians 11, 
verses 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. I'll tell you where we're going with this after you've read it. Just 1 to 5. Okay, now, unfortunately, I meant to go from 5 to 10, so keep going all the way down to 10. That is good anyway. Keep going. Verse 6 on. <clears throat> All right, now people get all bent out of shape trying to understand what verse 10 means. It means this simply. The head of the woman is who? Is the man. And where does authority belong? In the man. If she's married, she's got a husband, and she gives authority to him. Because of who? Because of the angels. Now, meaning that, when you are out of authority, when you are living your own life, when you are in rebellion you are now stepped into a demonic and angelic war and you will lose. So, <clears throat> he gives the illustration of submitting to authority and says there's power there. Doesn't he say that? For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head, on her husband. Because the angels are watching. Because they're fallen angels. Because they're demons that are ready to take advantage of every step of rebellion that we have towards our authority. Uh, go to one other one, Titus 3. Titus 3. Brother Tony, if you'll read that one as well. Titus 3, 1. Okay, so Paul is telling Titus to teach his people that he's pastoring and put them in mind to do what? Okay, so what does all that mean? What is it? Okay, to not be in rebellion. To, if a magistrate, usually lost, gives an order, you do it. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, as long as it's not wrong, if they ask you to do something... Do it twice as much. Go twice the mile. Right? Didn't Jesus say that? He said, if you man compel thee. So we're not to argue with our authorities. As long as they're not asking us to do anything unscriptural, anything against God, I'm to do it. Amen? I'm to submit. I'm to obey. Because there is power in submission. And so why do most Christians have all the same problems, the same troubles, that the world does. You know why? Because we are rebels and we don't submit to authority. We don't like authority. 
We don't let anybody tell us what to do. We don't let anybody tell us what not to do. But when you are in a position of authority, all of a sudden the devil can't get at you. Amen? You say, well, I'm, I'd be a whole lot happier. No, you wouldn't be happier. You may be for a season, but then the devil's got you. And if you're going to mortify, that's our whole concept here, if you're going to mortify sins that have taken advantage of your flesh and that you, that you used to be free from and now you're coming under bondage to, the first thing I would do, besides pleading the blood of Christ, is I would get under authority. I'd sit down with my pastor. I would sit down with my dad. I would sit down with somebody who is my authority and say, I've been out of line, and I'm sorry. I want to look at you in the eye and say, please, give me some advice, and I'll do it. You say, oh, that's, that's not what we do here. I don't care what you do here. I want to do the biblical pattern because I want to win the war. Amen? And that's what Christians do. So, we just dealt with one of them. But that's how you, that's how you master the things that have mastered us for too long. Amen? Any questions before we close? I know you want to go home. Some deep stuff we're going to get further in. Can't do it next week. We'll pick it up in two weeks. Father, <clears throat> like I prayed at the beginning, I prayed that this would be a good thought. This would be marvelous truth. And I pray that it has opened up a lot of interest in Christians' lives here tonight in their minds. And they'd realize, you know, there is a victory. So tired of being scared by sin, making me think that it has a power over me. I don't want to give it any more power. I'm never going to be perfect. I'm never going to go for extended periods of time where my weak flesh is not going to be pulled and not going to be hurt by temptation. But I now know I don't have to live that way. I may hit some bumps and I may be tricked and deceived by my enemy. But I don't have to live that way. I pray that we would mortify more than just one, but everything that rises up in our members. Lord, I pray that we would be so much stronger in, in Christ's power than in our own now, from now on. Forgive us where we relied on our own weak flesh to resist temptation. And help us to just enjoy the victory that's in the crucified life. In Jesus' name, amen.